Father, we thank you for another uh, new day, and we thank you for the, uh, the, the, the blue skies that we can look out and see, the sun shining, and the, uh, the, the wonders of creation around us. Lord, we thank you that uh, this reminds us of who you are, that, Lord, you are uh, amazingly powerful and wonderful and that this creation is, is just a, a reflection of, 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 of that greatness and that, uh, that wonder. Uh, so, Lord, we, we come. As we come to read this, look at this passage together, we pray, Lord, there'll be something here for, to encourage each one of us, we pray. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and <clears throat> closer to yourself. Amen. Amen. Okay. So, Romans chapter 8 is what we're looking at. Oh, it says 7. Oh, yeah, but actually, I, I only realized it said 7 um, in there. It's, that was a misprint, and it is Romans 8. So now you're going ah, okay. to read another chapter now. <laughs> which is good in a sense, because Ben preached on Romans 7 just the other week. Mm. Um, <laughs> I'm more familiar with Romans 8. I better mute myself, and I? Come <laughs> so, <clears throat> if you want to hear about Romans 7, just listen to Ben's sermon <coughs> online. Um, okay, so last week Ben was doing the devotions, as you know, and um, he finished up at the end of the book of Acts. He'd been looking at the, the life, the travels of St. Paul. And Paul ends up in Acts, at the end there, of being under house arrest in Rome. And uh, the book of Romans was written about three years uh, before that. It's, they think it was written from when he was in Corinth on the third of his missionary journeys. Uh, and he wants to, to go to Rome. In fact, if you if we turn to the beginning of Romans chapter 1 verses 10 and 11 when he writes this um, he says um, in verse 10 I pray that now at last by God's will the way may be open for me to come to you I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong um, that is that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith so he 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 writes this letter to the to the churches, the Christians in Rome, um, because he wants to visit them. He's hoping to visit them. He probably, when he wrote that, wasn't thinking that when he did visit them, he'd be under house arrest, <laughs> and that was going to be his time in in Rome. But that's what did happen, and um, and so this is a Romans is a. Is a wonderful book, a wonderful letter. It's different, really, to probably um, all of the other letters in that um, in it, it's, 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 it's structured. So he, although he does deal with some specifics, Paul is setting out in Romans a, a, a if you like, a big, broad canvas of how we are saved, of how we are of how we're put right with God. What does that look like? Um, and uh, and so it's it's the, that's why 
you could preach many sermons from, from Romans. I think it was, wasn't it Martin Lloyd-Jones Morris who preached on it for five years or something? Um, I, always, I didn't hear what you said, but I could, because you're muted, but yeah. At least, at least, five, I think it was considerably more. Oh, right. Okay. Friday, every Friday evening, see, at his Bible study. Right, okay. So, yeah, so we can only just touch on things this morning, but we're, we're going to, to do that. Um, the other thing behind it is, is that there was a concern, I think, in, um, for Paul, that in Rome, the church was a Gentile church. And his concern was that this would, over time, that, that, that there'd be a separation between um, Gentile and Jewish believers. And I think that's one of the reasons he deals with certain subjects. He talks about Abraham earlier on and that, particularly Romans chapter 11. His concern was that there would not be this separation, but they would see themselves as one body with one Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and uh, so that's, that's a, a bit in the background in terms of, in terms of the letter. So let's turn to um, Romans chapter 8, as he said. He, I mean, one of the things, of course, that as a result of Paul's travels was simply that there were all these churches that were established, not just his travels, because there were other, other Christians who were out there traveling as well and, and, and spreading the gospel. But there were these churches established all over the place, which some of them he'd spent very little time with, very little time. And so one of the things about writing the letters, of course, is to try and, and give additional and, and, and important teaching on, uh, on the gospel, on, on, on Jesus Christ, um, on what, how we should live to these different churches. Um, and that's what we're going to be looking at this week. We're going to pick on five of them, as I said, starting now with Rome. By the way, Paul... He's in his early 50s, we think, when he writes this letter um, to them. I'm always interested to know how, how old people are when things are happening. And we think he was in his early 50s. That's best guess. Romans chapter 8. Let's read. We're going to read the first two verses, and then we're going to read the, the end of the chapter. Um, I would encourage you to read it all, because it, it almost is a bit like, and this is true for the whole of Romans, it's almost a bit like a symphony where, where he goes back at different points to the sort of repeating the refrain, but it also builds like a symphony as well. And the end of Romans chapter 8 very much is a climax, and which is why we're going to read it together. Let's just read, first of all, the first two verses. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. Therefore, and that's because of all that he's talked about before in terms of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And we need to be reminded of that, just as they were being reminded of that regularly. 
that if we're in Christ Jesus, the verdict is because of his death and resurrection, the, re the verdict is that we are, one, not guilty of the things that we deserve to be guilty of, are guilty of in that sense. We're declared not guilty and we are declared righteous. Righteous like the Lord Jesus Christ. We are pardoned. And the pardon is complete, effective, continuous, right through to eternity and into eternity. So we have been set free. And because we've been set free, that we're not condemned, we are made righteous. It also means that we can begin to live life, the life of the Spirit, as opposed to the life of the law of sin and death. So the first verse talks about our pardon, and the second verse talks about the power, the power that we have because of God's Spirit is at work in us, the power over sin. But for that to happen, we certainly need to know the pardon of verse 1. Because Christianity is not about trying to live a better life. It's not about trying to work harder to be good. Yeah? The Christian life is one where we know that we have been set free. And now, because of the indwelling Holy Spirit, which we briefly touched upon yesterday... We have the power to live a different life. We have the power to live as God wants us to live. Wow, time is rushing on. Let's, <laughs> I'm sorry, guys, far too much of an introduction. Right, let's turn to the end. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And, and let's just read this through together very quickly. I'm not sorry, not read it through quickly, but let's read it through. And then I'll just make a couple of comments afterwards. So somebody like to read... Verses 28 to 30 of Romans chapter 8. Unmute yourselves first, please, before you read. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters and those he pre predestined he also called those he called he also justified and those he justified he also glorified Would somebody like to read 31 to 35 what then shall we say in response to this if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Is it God who justifies? Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God, and is also interceding for us. 
Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered a sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither present or future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Can you sense the, the climax, the building of the symphony as, as we read those words? You can see how Paul is taken up with, with what, what this means. That, that, that nothing, nothing, that any, whether it be demonic powers, whether it be things within ourselves, nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God. And, this, and that is just such a, a wonderful thing, isn't it? Sorry. <laughs> I think that must be their clock. Is that <laughs> the clock. Oh yes, it is the clock. Okay, right. Um, yesterday we had the rag and bone man, didn't we? That was interesting. Yeah. Okay. Nothing can separate us from God's love. And we've got also that, that other lovely, well-known verse, isn't it? That, that God works for the good of all those who love him. Let's try, I lost my line. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. What arose all things? Well, that same phrase is used in verse 37. No, in all these things, he said, we are more than conquerors. And what are all these things? Well, the, all these things that he's talking about there are verse 35. Hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword, or coronavirus. The last one is my addition, as you know. There is nothing that will separate us from the love of God. And in all of those things that we've just read, God is able to work for good, which is, of course, to conform us to the likeness of his Son. And that is something really important, isn't it, for us to get hold of. So this is not the good that takes us away and means that we can avoid difficulties. The good actually comes out of the things that we would regard as not good. Things that are sufferings, things that, are, that make life difficult. That's not to say those things are good in themselves. They're not. Coronavirus is not a good thing. But God is able to use those things for his purposes. And that's something for us, each of us to take hold of. And that one day, 
if you go back into the middle of the chapter, we will know the glory. I consider that our present sufferings, so Paul knew all about suffering, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Got a little book here, by the way. If you haven't read it, I only read it last week, but it's a really good book and it's very small. So you can read it very quickly. It's called Where is God in a Coronavirus World? And it's £2.99, which is a lot considering it's such a small book. But anyway, it is excellent. And, um, and in this, he talks about the verse that we've just read. And, that, and this is what about, about uh, things. And he says how we need to actually, as we think about, as we face sufferings, we need to not lose sight of eternity and have that perspective. Um, that Paul and others like him had a real understanding, a real uh, expectation of what was coming in the life to be. And he just quotes here C.S. Lewis, who wrote, a book on suffering which says nothing about heaven is leaving out almost the whole of one side of the account. Scripture and tradition habitually put the joys of heaven into the scale against the suffering of earth. And no solution of the problem of pain, which does, which does not do so, can be called a Christian one. We're very shy nowadays of even mentioning heaven. We're afraid about being told about pie in the sky. But either there is pie in the sky, or there is not. If there is not, then Christianity is false. For this doctrine is woven into the whole fabric. If there is, if there is, then this truth, like any other, must be faced. And John Lennox writes, at times like Paul, I try to imagine what the glorious heavenly realm is like. And here there is the question which, which comes to me. If the veil that now separates the seen and the unseen world were to be parted just for one moment, and we could see the present state of those who have died, including the millions of innocent Christian believers who suffered from the horrendous evil perpetuated by immoral governments, warlords, drug barons, or whoever, or who have been innocent victims of natural disasters, and even things like coronavirus. Is it just possible, in the light of all we know about Jesus Christ, that all our concerns about God's handling of the, of the situation, we would instantly dissolve? We've not yet reached the other world, but we do have a message about it that comes from it. A message that this virus-infected, anxious world desperately needs to hear. We are free from condemnation, and nothing will separate us from the love of God. Let's pray.